0: I uh, hope you're ready to get back in the Word. I've already got mine open and ready to jump in. If you have a Bible, go grab it. Um, if you don't already have it, and uh, we're going to jump in there today. Super glad you're connecting, at least in whatever way this is, through video. <laughs> um, hope you've had a good week. It's been, it's been a bit of a wild couple weeks for us, and um, continue to pray. I know we're praying about COVID for, for everybody. Uh, but continue to pray. I, I want to throw a name out there. Carol is her name. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but if you would pray for Carol, um, uh, COVID related things like that, but pray for Carol, um, and her, her health. Don't usually single somebody out. We pray every, uh, we'll pray tonight. We pray every Sunday night as, as a group and we will tonight too, but I, I wanted to share that because it's on my heart that I want as many people as we can to be praying for her and her health so anyway we'll we'll uh move on but if you want to come tonight if you're in the tempe area tempe arizona or if you are anywhere in the east valley and i don't care where you are anywhere on the planet but particularly if you're in the east valley of phoenix in tempe is where we're located if you're in that area and you want to come hang out with us pray with us spend some time studying his word we want you to do that hit us up online and uh, you can see where we are and um or send us an email and we'll tell you where we are and um tell you how to get here and how to find us or connect through social media and whatever option you choose and uh We'll tell you how to find this, because we would really love for you to be a part of what we're doing here. What we're doing right now is just st- pulling apart the Word and studying the Word together. be tonight when we gather and work through it uh, together. We'll talk through it, and we'll wrestle um, through what we see in the text. So, we've been working through this series of Is God Among Us? And uh, the theme verse that we've had is Revelation 21 verse 3 behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be as their god um again is god among us not one of us but is he among us and today we're gonna look at is he among us and we're gonna look at the first supper now i realize the title is a little bit different because i'm not completing the thought of is god among us as or is god among us when or is god among us you know in blah 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 but I wanted to point out an extraordinary thing that's happening in this particular text. It's wild. And you're going to see it when we get into it. But the real focus I want you to kind of keep in mind here is marriage. And I know you're thinking, "Wait, well, the First Supper versus the Last Supper versus marriage? What, all? we're going to get there. And look, I don't know if you're married or not married. I don't know if you have been married a long time or only a few minutes. I don't know if you're planning to get married uh, or you're hoping that one day you'll get married. In any event, this is very applicable, what we're going to look at today. Because it's it's not about being a good husband or a wife. It's about what marriage illustrates. It's about what marriage illustrates. Do you feel like your marriage is a mess if you are married? For those of you who are, do you feel like it's a mess? Let me ask you something. Is God in it? Is God central to your marriage? Is He the focal point? Is He the center point? Do you think that matters? Be honest. Do you think it matters? Do you know why it matters if you say yes? Do you know why it matters? These are things we're going to get into today. And, and maybe you're hurting. Listen, maybe you feel like God's not listening to you. Maybe you feel like God's angry at you, whether you're married or not. Maybe you feel like he's not hearing you because he's not interested in listening to you. And, and, and I want listen, I want you to listen to what we're looking at today. And, and I want you to see what God does here at this first supper, okay? And that's just what I call it, because I think it's cool. So let me read the text. It's in Exodus chapter 24, verse 9, and uh, we'll get into it. So chapter 24, verse 9 says, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. It was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. It is so awesome. Thank you for the chance to study it. Thank you for the chance to hold it, have it, read it, memorize it. Lord, uh, and when I say that, I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about us as believers. I pray, Lord, that your word would penetrate our hearts, that it would wedge in, and it would constantly be in our minds. It would constantly be on our hearts. It would constantly be coming out of our mouth. And in the moment, Lord, I pray that your word remains your word and that you're glorified by the things that are said because there's things that uh, come from your word and not my own mouth. And uh, I love you, Lord, and I say these things for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. So, The Last Supper is a famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci. I'm pretty sure everybody's familiar with it and what it looks like. It's very well known. It was done around the end of the 15th century. And it's really well recognized, but it's also completely wrong. Um, It's entirely European, and it's not Jewish at all, which obviously Jesus was a Jew. The Last Supper did occur. It did happen. However, it was a Passover, and it was therefore eaten, lying down. They would have been laying on their side around a U-shaped table or perhaps an L-shaped table laying down. It it, it was not, not the last supper. It was Christ's last meal with his disciples before going to the cross. But the cross is not the last event. The cross is not the end. I mean, the cross means nothing without day three and a resurrection you know what i'm saying in fact the last supper at the last supper jesus told his disciples i'm gonna to refer to it as the last supper but at that occasion jesus told his disciples that they'd be doing it again one day he told them that they would be doing it again someday and in revelation john revelation 19 john records a marriage supper of the lamb that is to come in the future the lamb being christ so it It wasn't the last in that sense. And so much about Jesus' last meal with his disciples, like that meal in heaven, in the end, is related to marriage. So much of it is a beautiful illustration of a marriage covenant. But today we're not looking at Leonardo's art. We're not going to look at this Last Supper, intentionally anyway, and we're not going to look at the Revelation Supper either. We're going to be looking at the First Supper, the text here. And maybe you didn't know there was one, but it's also a very powerful picture of marriage. So uh I'm going to move these glasses because if I don't, I'll end up banging something, stepping on them, dropping them, who knows. But uh, It's all live, folks. It's all live. No editing. You get everything. bye Scratch or burp or something, it's, it's there, you know? <laughs> um, anyway, oftentimes we read the Old Testament and we tend to make it all about history. Oh, it's just a history book. Or we end up saying, well, it's only relative to Israel. It didn't have anything to do with the church. And while the covenant that we're talking about today is between Israel and God, the picture couldn't be any more clear for us today in our marriages. Alright. And I hope, look, as we, as we read and study this today, you'll allow it to just sit on your mind. Just allow it to sit on your mind. Allow your heart to soak it in and consider how much God has done in making himself known to us, in providing salvation for us, and entering a loving covenant with us. Why would, why, why would God do that to, to such a degree? I want that to like just wreck you today. Let it get inside and let it sit on you. And I hope it changes you, and me too. I mean, that's you. That's us. I, I hope it does. I hope it changes us so we walk more certain of our faith because of what he, is, who he is, and what he's done. And, and we talk more often about him, just like you would somebody you love to the core, you know. And we celebrate grace more openly, man. Can't wait to talk about grace with people. So, looking at Exodus chapter twenty-four, and here's what you're going to see. As I, I'll point out a wedding illustrated here, but you'll see a mediator, almost like a pastor. You'll see a covenant, like the wedding, going on, and then you'll see a meal, like a reception after the wedding, you'll see all this. So the background real quick God's people were in slavery in Egypt. They were delivered out of that by by God sending plagues and by splitting the Red Sea and guiding them through and all that. Now they've come to Mount Sinai and they've seen the mountain on fire, they've seen dark smoke, they've heard thunder and lightning, the the ground's shaken, uh they heard God speak, they were terrified. They said, Moses, you talk to him, tell us what he says you know, it's too much. We're too scared. So Moses has gone to meet with God on the mountain and God has given Moses the, the Torah, the law, the first, what we call the first five books here. But Moses has been given the laws of God. All right. And now that brings us to where we are. So first you have this mediator. I'm, I'm calling a pastor just for the sake of illustration. But in verse one, it says, then he, God said to Moses, come up to the Lord. That's a cool, little interesting phrase, by the way. Side note. God said, come up to the Lord. He didn't say, come up to me. He said, come up to the Lord. Again, this sense of Trinity, this sense of a a plurality in one with God, it's, it's all over the place. Anyway, then he, God said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Um, there were no Levitical priests yet. That, that comes later. It hadn't been ordained by God yet. It will be in Exodus, but it hasn't been. So in the same way, though, God is calling these people to be kind of an intercessor or to kind of be there as mediators with the people. So you have these 73 people plus Moses, so 74 total. However, uh, even they were not allowed, these 73 weren't allowed to go as close as Moses did. There's only one who was vi- invited to come all the way into God's pre- presence to intercede for the people. The people worship from a distance. The 70 plus Moses, Aaron, and the sons, they are invited to come up, but then only Moses is invited to come near. See that? There's a distance, there's those who are come up, and then there are those who are the one who's to come near. The tabernacle, later the temple, they would reflect the same kind of thing. There were divisions of access in the temple. You had a court of Gentiles, you had the outer court, you had the court of women, you had the inner court, you had the holy place, you had the most holy place, and access was more and more limited the closer you got to that most holy place. And the, there was only one person allowed in there, and that was the high priest. And that was it. Today, because of Christ, we're all invited to come up. We are all called to come near. All of us, because of Christ, there are no longer any divisions that remain. Uh, Ephesians 2.14 says the dividing wall has been torn down. The, the, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, the temple veil that's, that sealed off the Holy of Holies, ripped from the top down, it, there's nothing dividing anymore because of one that has gone into God's presence to intercede for us, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, Hebrews 4 16 says let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need let us draw near to the throne we we, we can come near now in fact he's telling us to because of what Christ has done um, so I'll come back to point that out again but you have this mediator and it could be illustrated as a pastor in a wedding uh, look at verse 3 of chapter 24 and you have this covenant, or the wedding here. And I'm going to read several verses, and then we'll, I'll come back out and point this out to you. You'll see. So verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, um, which he'd already received back in chapter 19, 20, 21. He'd already received it. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And then he rose early in the morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people, some, some say the intent here is firstborn of Israel, who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and he put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, which this is the same thing that he had written down earlier. Now he's reading from that book. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood that was in the basins. He takes that blood and he throws it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made. Or you could say that literally the Lord has cut with you in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all that has been said by you and by the uh, words that he had written. So let me show you the wedding here. So first of all, you have the pastor, you have the mediator. We talked about that in verses, uh, the first two verses. And then here you kind of have this, at the beginning of it, when Moses comes, comes and he tells the people, you have this rehearsal like a rehearsal dinner almost going on. Moses begins by telling them what they're agreeing to right there. And when they confirm their desire to commit, Moses begins to prepare for the ceremony by writing all of it down. So he tells it to them, they commit to it. He says, okay, well, let's do this. So he writes it all down. Uh, then you have the document, just like in a wedding. You have, it's designed by God because Moses was given the words, it's designed by God. And then it's agreed to by the people. Moses speaks the word or the covenant to the people and then Moses writes it down then he comes back and he reads it to the people on the wedding day so to speak but he's written, written it down it's like a it's like a it's like that what the pastor reads when he, or recites when the uh, he's officiating the the ceremony and he's reading the marriage covenant that's being entered into between the bride and the groom right or you could even say the signed license that both parties sign that signifies they're married. It's that document. So you have that too. Then you have these 12 pillars that are at the altar. And those symbolize, those represent Israel. They represent, the instead of there being a million people crowded around, they have these 12 pillars. All 12 tribes are represented. They're all unified. They're all present at the altar uh in the represented in these pillars you have the altar itself well it stands at the foot the altar stands at the foot of the mountain the mountain is where god's presence is uh so both god and israel are present at the altar all right just like in a wedding you have these offerings like we would give gifts or, or rings um, In this case, you had a burnt offering. That was an offering that was completely burned up. No part of it was retained for anything. There there were no priests, but but later on, the priests will be able to keep the food in some ways and some offerings. In a burnt offering, that's not allowed. You don't keep anything. It all goes to God. It's all his. It's only his and all his. Nothing is kept back. The peace offering is shared. So maybe it is an animal. Maybe it is wine or grain. And you pour some or put some onto the uh, altar that's given to God, but then you keep some too. And and so you're almost sharing that between the both of you. It's it's kept to be eaten or drinking as well as put on the altar. So again, both offerings symbolize together this shared moment that two are present for. God and the people are both there. And there's offerings that 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 are in both both his and the one that's shared between them so then you have the blood and that's the one that gets weird because people wrestle with that one man there's there's blood here and i'm not going to take a lot of time to go you can go back and look in genesis where uh right after the flood god makes the point that the life is in the blood there's a lot of belief in um the use of the hebrew term for life that that goes even deeper to say that your soul is in your blood either way the blood is is the most serious level of commitment you can possibly get greater love has no man than he laid down his life bleed out and die for his friends something jesus said that's the greatest cost is blood so what is being symbolized here well the blood is is being thrown on the altar to symbolize that the covenant here is between both the altar is what they're standing before the blood is connecting both of them via the altar here it's also symbolizing a life and death agreement the blood the animal that has died you have a life and death agreement going on here till death do us part or may i be like that dead animal there if i ever betray this covenant now, if we walked into it like that, think about it for a minute. May I be like this animal here till death do us part if I betray this covenant. Um, it's also a true sacrifice it's a true sacrifice these animals were equal to financial gain they were financial resources they also showed status depending on how many you had they were milk and, or produced milk and they were meat obviously they did work uh oxen you know they they're doing work for you these, these sacrificing these were these things were real value it was a real hurt to sacrifice these things um it also acknowledges that sin is serious. It acknowledges that sin is death. When you see that animal die, it portrays this substitutionary atonement, big words, but basically meaning something is dying in your place to, to satisfy the wrath of God. In this case, an innocent animal whose blood is covering sin in the hopes of making peace with God um it was sprinkled on the people. is on the altar but it was also sprinkled on the people some say it was sprinkled on them in general like like it just kind of flung out there didn't necessarily hit everybody it was just symbolizing that may have hit a little bit uh, a sprinkle here a sprinkle there on some um it wasn't like gushed out on people i don't think uh some say that it was put on each person individual almost like the 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 catholic might do where they touch each forehead and whatever there's a million people that that might have been a stretch Um, And then some say it was put on the 12 pillars. I lean that way. It was put on the 12 pillars because the 12 pillars are present at the altar and they represent the people. But either way, no matter how you look at it, the point being symbolized is that blood was on their hands. The blood was on their hands. They were bound by blood to this oath. The blood was covering them. They were covered in that blood. They were bound in that blood. And then they say, we will obey. Or literally, I do. I do. Just like in a wedding. And all of this would be fully realized again in that Last Supper um, with Christ. And he said these things. Luke chapter 22, verse 18. Jesus told his disciples, I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine, the wine, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread when he'd given thanks, he broke it again and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he's giving them this bread and he's telling them, you know what, as I'm tearing this bread, my body is also going to be torn for you. And then why, why? Because in verse 20, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying the cup, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So as they're drinking the wine that he's given them, he's pointing out that it is symbolizing the fact that he is going to bleed out and die. He is going to bring to pass a new covenant. And you can look that up. It's in, it's in uh, Jeremiah, it's in Ezekiel. Um, it, it is a covenant where God said, I will write my laws on their heart. I will take out their heart of stone. I'll give them a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within them. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus is saying that as a result of my death and my bleeding out my blood, that those who have faith in me, that my Holy Spirit will be within them. Uh, Matthew 26 verse 28 for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for the for uh, many for the forgiveness of sins I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in my father's kingdom with you so again anticipating another day when it's going to occur but it's this same picture of covenant relationship of forgiveness of sins of a mediator of an intercessor of a commitment uh there's so much and and i'm not going to go back into all that i'm I'm trying to stick in the text where you can see it uh look at back back at exodus 24 verse 9 so you had um the mediator the preacher then you have kind of the ceremony the wedding almost and now you have a meal what comes after a wedding when we have weddings reception, right? Look here, verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, basically clear, deep blue, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Look at it, it says, they saw and beheld. The first word there, it it means like a glancing look. They saw like a glancing look. But the second one is like a long, sustained gaze. They did both. I don't care how you spin this, how you twist it. They saw him. They saw him. He was there. He was present with them. He was among them. Right there, they saw him. As one author put it, it's a foretaste of the incarnation, Christ's Christ birth, God becoming man. It's the first supper. That's what I call it. The first supper. Why did they eat and drink? Why not come, have their meeting with God, and then go home? I mean, that's what you do when you come before a king, right? You come into the court of a king, hey, you do your business and you go, oh, man, much less God, right? There's something here in our God being relational. Relational, right? Even at the Last Supper, I imagine them laughing and smiling and having a good time. And we have details recorded from that Last Supper, but we don't know all the details of every moment of time. I, I think it was fun. It's not just a ceremony to observe Passover, inaugurate a new covenant. I mean, those things definitely happened and occurred, and that's what was going on. But, I mean, it was an experience. He's with his disciples. Jesus, God, present among them and and enjoying it. You know, in both cases, then and here, God is among his people. He's welcoming his people. He's sharing their lives and his presence with them. Guys, it's called friendship. They're sharing a meal together. It's called, it's friendship. It is the post-wedding celebration. Come up and let's eat, man. Let's sit down and let's eat. That doesn't say God ate, but he could have. But it doesn't say that. Uh, his bo- he didn't have a body that depended on food, but that doesn't mean he couldn't eat food, right? It says he was standing on sapphire, this sapphire... Pavement kind of thing. I, I think what that's picturing is this blue sky, and the moment here of of heaven joining with earth in a in a covenant relationship. I think that's the picture of what's going on, and, and maybe the reason they only saw his feet here is because they 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 wouldn't look any higher, or that they mentioned his feet. I don't know. It it it, 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 it zeroes in on it at least. Maybe they didn't want to look any higher. Maybe they couldn't clearly see all of him, which is a safe bet. Uh Even when Moses asked for that at one point, he says, I'll let you get a glimpse, you know. But, and maybe, you know, they try to and all they see is the holiness and this bright light. I, I don't know. But it could be that they're not, that when Moses records this and when they're talking about it, they're not concerned with describing him any further than what they say. Because for one, it's not necessary Uh, It's not about what color his hair was. And for two, if they did describe him in some kind of perfect way, I guarantee you that the Israelites would have built an idol for him and started worshiping it instead of him himself. But what's notable here is that they saw feet. It says that he didn't lay his hand on them. I mean, those are significant words, feet and hand, what does what exactly look like is not important. What's important is that he's present and he's appearing, at least in some way, as a person. Hands, feet. You know? It's interesting, by the way, that Jesus, at his last supper with his disciples, before going to the cross, he did lay his hand on his disciples to wash their feet So why didn't they die? They beheld God. They beheld God, it says, it. gazed upon him. Why didn't they die? We can talk about a lot of theories and ideas and, and well, they didn't see enough of him or they didn't see it. No, no, no. There's only one reason they didn't die. One word. Grace. It's the common thread through the whole Bible. It's not just in the New Testament. It's all the way through. And the more you look, the more you're going to see it. The only reason that Moses notes the fact that he didn't lay his hand on them was to point out that they should have died. But they didn't because God chose not to execute them. He chose not to execute them. What made the difference? What what made the difference? Remember back in verse 1. Remember back in verse 1 where they were invited to come up. That happened in verse 1. They were invited to come up. God told them. But they don't actually go up until verse 9. Verse 1, they're invited to come up. Verse 9 is when they actually do it. What happened in between? What happened in between? they were covered by the blood of the covenant the marriage they were covered by the blood and now rather than being executed they are celebrating a meal together they're having a reception because there's a there's a covenant that's been entered and the blood is covering them before god jesus made the same thing possible for us that's what we say we're covered in the blood of the lamb that's what we're saying he made it possible for us to be with god that the the invitation was there come up and we said jesus i'm not i'm not worthy but i trust you And, and i'm entering this covenant with you and it's your blood that makes it possible it's your sacrifice that makes it possible. And because of that, I can come to that table and I can sit down and I can, I can behold God and not die. He covered my sins. So look, man, what more do you want from a Savior? I don't know who you are today. If you're a believer, you're not a believer. I'm, I'm going to speak to you if you're not for just a minute. If you're not, look, man, what more do you need? What more do you need from a Savior? Uh, I mean, this Savior, this Jesus came. And hurt just like you hurt. He came and hurt just like you hurt. He was hungry just like you're hungry. He got exhausted just like you get exhausted. He was sad at times just like you get sad. He got angry at times just like you get angry. He suffered just like you suffer. Because he loves you. And he's pursuing you. Just like a bride, just like his he, he being a groom pursuing a bride that's that 's the opportunity of grace that 's in front of you, and he would go to a cross that you 're never that's never going to be like you because that 's not going to happen for you he He would provide salvation for you because there's something you cannot escape, and that 's sin you cannot escape it, but he provides salvation he will rise from the dead to offer you hope to offer you hope from the death that you most certainly face what does it take for you to decide to say i do what does it take for you to decide to say i do how many times you going to turn them down how many times are you going to ex or you, how many times do you expect him to keep asking? Uh, he'll keep asking. Oh, he'll keep asking. He'll keep asking. Do you anticipate living long enough to make a decision someday to be ready? How many days are you going to feel alone? How many cancer scares? are are there going to be? How many panic attacks are there going to be? How many times are you going to tell somebody pray for me before you decide to pray yourself? Listen to me. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say that? Listen, can you say that? It is not complicated. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say that? John 3.16, I say it every week and I will always say it. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever uh, believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe in him? Can you say that? Do you believe? Do you trust him? That's what that means. Do you trust that that's the truth? Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. If you can call him Lord, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Can you say that today? Can you say that today? Maybe you're a believer. Well, you know what? Before I go any further, let me just encourage you. If you can't say that today, I want you to. If you can say that today, I want you to. Do it right now. Do it right now. Just tell him, I believe. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him you, say, I do, Lord, I do. Give your life to him. You word it however you want. Just confess the truth to him. Tell him you need him to save you. You need to be free of guilt. You need to be free of sin. I don't know who's hearing this, but I feel like somebody's hearing it today. So that's the only reason I'm keeping on it. But look, if you are a believer already, listen, our marriages represent a whole lot more than a decision to be with somebody we love a whole lot. They they mean a whole lot more than that. They picture this covenant between us and the spouse and God. He's there. He's the central piece. He's part of it. It's mediated. It's documented. It's sealed with symbols of sacrifice and commitment. Our marriages are today. And an I do between three parties. And in the blood of till death do us part. That's what's happening in our marriages. Jesus made that same commitment to us with his own blood. you're a believer, till death do us part. There is no death. We shall never part because he did die for us. Our marriages picture the gospel, guys. We need to guard our marriages. They picture the gospel. We need to stand firm on them. We need to celebrate them publicly, proud of them. And whether you're married or not, we need to celebrate what marriage portrays. Man, it's good stuff. Let me pray for us. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. It's so amazing. Thank you for the privilege of being able to uh, dive in it as always. Looking forward to tonight and getting to hang out with uh, friends and brothers and sisters and be able to talk through it some more. God, uh, I just pray today if somebody's given their life to you for the first time, Lord, you would impress them to give us a call. Send us an email. Um, or reach out and contact us. If they're not close to us or they don't feel comfortable doing that, Lord, send them to a good church that will help them grow as a disciple and learn how to make disciples, Lord. Um, I pray you'll save people, Lord. I really do. I pray you will lead people to saving faith in you, and I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.